0: Hi, this is Fred Olin Ray, and this is One Take Territory, and this is pretty much the very first uh, recording that I'm trying to do here. Uh, Mostly uh, not to promote myself, but to uh, talk about some different things that are too complicated for me to write about, although I do cover a lot of this stuff in a book that I'm working on with the author Steve Latshaw. Which should be coming along shortly. I want to say uh, once again that everything uh, that I say here is my own opinion of the way things happened, and they're the way uh, that I perceived them to go down. And um, someone else may not uh, agree with this, and uh, that's their that's their privilege. But I was there, so here we go. What I want to talk about today is a movie called Moon and Scorpio, a film that. Uh, Came out recently on Blu-ray and seems to have uh, stumped a few people here and there as to what the hell's going on with this movie. Uh, so let's uh, let's just go back to the beginning. Uh, initially, I met Gary Graver, uh, the DP, back when I was looking for someone to shoot uh, Biohazard. And a friend of mine named George Edwards, who was the producer of Frogs and Queen of Blood, uh, George had made a movie called The Attic. <clears throat> with, um, Carrie Snodgrass and I think Ray Moland. and Gary had been his DP, and George and I shared an office at Raleigh Studios, and, uh, uh George said, Fred, Fred, you've got to meet Gary Graver, you've got to meet Gary Graver, he's the fastest guy out there, so I met Gary, but I actually couldn't afford him, he was more expensive than I could afford, so uh, I didn't hook up with Gary until years later, uh, after I had made, um, the tomb, and, um, Star Slammer and Armed Response and Cyclone. Uh, I was looking for a faster DP uh, because it was taking so long for each setup that I would only get one or two takes if I was lucky before I had to move on. And I wanted more time to work for myself as opposed to giving the DP more time to work. So I needed somebody who would be ready in a hurry. And Gary and I connected on a movie called Commando Squad. The Commando Squad, now that I look at the dates on. Um, I look at the dates uh, online about these movies and they're a little confusing to me. Now, I will admit that that, uh, I've made a lot of films and some of these things are uh, uh, in the fog back there, but I really believe that I shot Commando Squad in 1987. 1987, because I believe I got married to Dawn Wildsmith right around that time. And we went from Commando Squad right into making the Phantom Empire, because it was shot, part of it was shot during the the commando squad um, shoot. And I remember we were looking at the cave one night and it was all lit up and kind of foggy and misty. And uh, Bill Smith was gonna fight uh, Brian Thompson. There was a fist fight in the mouth of Bronson Cave. And I looked over and I was sitting there with Ross Hagen And I said to Ross, I said, you know, if a guy was clever, Ross, you could make an entire movie in this park and never leave. He said, you should do it, Fred, you should do it. I said, I don't know. And then we got to a a set at Movie Tech Studios on the last day of the show. And there was this Quonset hut set where Sid Haig and these guys were like um, torturing Brian Thompson, who was tied in the chair. And it was such a great little set. Uh, that I went around to everybody the day before and I said, listen, I got an idea. Come back at the end of the day tomorrow. I said, we're going to film something after the producers leave. And so, you know, I went home and I wrote like a five page scene and I did some scene where Ross and them come to this cabin and Russ Tamlin sells in this map, which is all off the subject, of course, but it says, uh, the release says, uh, that commander squad was made in 87, but was released in 1988, which would be correct. Uh, I think in my mind, but in as much as Moon and Scorpio is a offshoot of Commando Squad, I don't see how Moon and Scorpio could have been released in 1987. Uh, I don't even believe it was made until, I, I don't know. Let's just talk about it. Uh, I'm sure someone can prove me wrong on this cause I'm not sure about it myself, but I remember that Commando Squad was a 22 day movie and it came in at 19 days and that afforded a surplus of uh, a surplus of money and Gary Graver went to Moshe Diamond and Alan Emil and said that for the 200,000 dollars or whatever it is I was under budget that he could make a whole other movie and they kind of went yeah okay yeah we'll do it and so i just, to my knowledge Moon and Scorpio was made with the leftover money that Commando Squad came in under budget on. So I remember at the time I kind of thought, hey, why didn't they offer me to make another movie for 200000 you know. So the budget of Commando Squad was somewhere in about the $700,000, $800,000 range, and I think it came in around $650,000, something like that. Might have been a little bit more, I can't remember. <clears throat> anyway, Gary goes about to make this uh, this movie. and um, The original script was about these guys who went to Vietnam and they, they raided the temple of a snake goddess and very much like the tomb. They come back to the United States and years later, this snake goddess comes to L.A. uh, in the form of a woman, of course, to revenge herself on these, on these guys. And uh, that was the plot, the original plot of Moon and Scorpio. And I remember going with Alan Emil into Moisha Diamant's office at one point about something else. And Alan says to Moisha Diamant, he said, Moisha, he goes, I must tell you the story of Moon and Scorpio. And Moisha says, Alan, I don't want to I don't want to hear it. And Alan says, But Moisha, I must I must tell you the story, the plot of the movie. And Moisha said, I don't want to hear it. I told you I don't want to hear it. I finally said, listen, Alan, the man says he doesn't want to hear it, but I must, I must, he said. So Moisha finally sits back and he goes, okay, what is the story? So Alan tells him and then Moisha gets excited and goes, no, no, he goes, you make this movie will be uh, Halloween, Halloween on a boat. And um, Alan looks at, at Moisha and says, but Moisha, the girl who's doing the murders, why does she do it? He said, no reason. She crazy. And that's exactly what he said. And I walked out of there and I said to Alan, I said, you know what? You should have quit while you were ahead. So now they go to tell Gary. So the next day I come into the offices, it's where the CNN building is now, the corner of Wilcox and Sunset where Canon Films were. Our offices were the old Canon Films uh, offices. And Moisha and his partner, an Indian fellow named Sunil Shaw, they took uh, Golan and Globus's original office and they because those two guys shared the same office and their desks faced each other so they looked at each other all day every day and they their phone calls were heard by the other guy and that's what Mo- moisha did he was so enamored with canon films that he set up his office with senil shaw where they both faced each other in the same room and they did that to me with uh, gordon Hessler when i first went there and got an office it was sitting across the office from gordon Hessler who was a pretty well-known horror film director and a guy I looked up to and really admired, but we had to look at each other all, all day, every day. So anyway, I come into the office the next day and there's Gary Graver and he's sitting at a typewriter and I ain't kidding. He's got a TV with a VCR and he's playing Halloween, the movie Halloween on a small television set and rewriting the script. I know it says Robert Aiken on the credits, but I don't know that I ever met a person named Robert Aiken. I know Gary Graver sat there and typed all this stuff that I'm familiar with. And then I wrote all the new material that came later in in the the film, when the film was basically sort of remade, uh, later. So anyway, um, they go to make this movie and they wanted my wife Dawn to be a standby for Jillian because Jillian, um, everyone seemed to have a little bit of a substance problem back in the day. And they were a little concerned that she might not be able to do the role. And so Dawn was on standby, but Jillian did it and got through it. And if you see her though, she's a little, she's a little heavier than she was later in life. Later in life, she was a gym rat and she got real thin and was very health conscious, but not so much at this period. And, um, they did the film and at one point they needed a child killer, like in Halloween. Um, uh, and they, um, uh, they wanted, uh, uh, Chris, they wanted to borrow my son, Chris. And of course they put a fright wig on him and a adult bathrobe and gave him a big knife. And they kind of shot him in silhouette from the back because he's supposed to be a girl, I guess. And then Gary brought in a couple adult film actors who did sort of a nude love scene in front of a fireplace. And then Chris was supposed to kill him. And then Gary said, well, Chris won't see any of this. He'll just, we're just going to do a shot of him. And I said, okay, fine. And back on Commando Squad, when we were filming Commando Squad, there was a guy, I think his name was Jim something, but he was a PA or something. And he was, we filmed at the Pico Adobe, which was uh, Mel Wells's house in, in the movie. And it was raining. And I was standing out underneath the uh, over porch there. And this guy came up to me that I barely knew. He was just a PA or something. And he said, he goes, you know, I've been watching you. He goes, I went, yeah. And he goes, yeah. He goes, I could do what you do. I thought you could, and, and and in my normal self, I said, I said, go stand over there. I said, don't talk to me, get away from me. So then I later, I see him, I see him a couple days later. I see he goes up to Gary Graver. I've been watching you and you know, I can do what you're, you're doing. I thought it was hilarious. So I take Chris over to Gary's uh, place, which was actually Jillian's house. Jillian Kesner owned her own house. It was on Laurel Terrace over by um, Ventura Boulevard and Laurel Canyon. In the back was a freestanding old garage that Gary used as an editing room and uh, Jillian owned the small house. So that's where they shot the people in front of the fireplace and Chris stabbing them. And and, uh, so I was letting Chris do his thing and I come out and there's a guy sitting there with his hands in a changing bag, sitting on the step by the editing room. And if you don't know what a changing bag is, that's a light proof bag you stick your hands in and you put the magazine from the camera in there. You can open the plates, remove the exposed films, put it in the can and tape it take the unexposed film, put it back in the magazine, put the plates back on without any light leaking in, and then you can take it out and then put it onto the camera. So I go over, and the guy's got his hands in the changing bag, and I look, and it's this guy. It is this guy, Jim, the guy who said, oh, I've been watching you, I could do what you were been doing. I just couldn't believe it." Gary hired him to be a camera assistant. So anyway, they make this movie, um, and the script was very short. Gary liked to type in uh, Geneva font, which was a big font, and, you know, a 100-page script was really a 50-page script or a 60-page script. So he would just overshoot the action. And there was way too much footage of uh, Bill Smith and John Phil Blaw as soldiers in Vietnam. Way too old to be privates. Way too old to be on the front line. <clears throat> and they kept all this footage of them running around shooting. And at one point, there wasn't... I don't know what's in the final film anymore. Like I, I haven't seen it since it was made. And I have not watched the Blu-ray. They didn't send me one. And... Um, I haven't bought one. But there was a long, long sequence of John Philip Law in a swimming pool, because he's staying in a motel, I think, and he's wrestling a rubber snake. And I mean, it went on for minutes. I mean, it felt, or maybe it felt like minutes, but it felt like it went on forever. Wrestling the snake, wrestling the rubber snake. And all the murders were like a, a watermelon with a shirt over it, and they would stab it with a knife. Well, needless to say, and Gary edited this. I noticed there was another editor's name on the IMDb, but Gary edited this himself. And Gary never did overlaps. Everything was a hard cut because he wasn't really an editor. But he was, he was, but he wasn't, you know? And um, so mostly he didn't overlap dialogues and things like that. Everything was just a hard cut. And um, so he makes the film and he shows it, and they don't like it. They don't like the movie. So they, they, they want me to come in, and they want me to um, take over. They want me to produce, write, and direct uh, a massive overhaul of the movie. Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah, I'll produce it, and I'll write it. I said, but I won't call action or cut. I said, I can't. I just can't do it. You know, it's Gary's movie. And I'll They said, okay, but you've got to stand there. You have to stand there while, while they shoot the new scenes and make sure everything's okay. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, all right. So I go to Gary, and I tell Gary what's going on, blah, 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 and he says, well, that's fine, but him and Jillian are going to this Orson Welles Festival in Spain or France, and they're being honored, and they've got to go, and it's right while we're producing a reshoot of his own movie, and I said, don't you, you know, this is, don't you want to, you know, be here, and no, 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 I'll be here, uh, I'll be here the night before the uh, the, you know, shoot starts. So he just kind of left town, they just left town and took off. And, um, so, I mean, part of the problem was the film didn't make a lot of sense. It didn't make sense. So I tried to, um, uh, I created some scenes with Britt Eklund in a straight jacket, which we shot in their offices and stuff. And then I brought in, uh, Bob Quarry and, uh, Jim Booth and Donna K. Benz and stuff to, um, be these doctors. So that we could kind of try, because the Israelis were very, they were very big about someone telling you or narrating little bits and pieces over top of what, so they thought the audience could understand better what was going on. So we did that, and I named Dr. Uh, Bob Corey after Dr. Korda, which was his death master uh, name, and um, <clears throat> we reshot all the murders. And uh, what I did is I took the, most of, most all of the knives, there might be a guy killed in a stairwell, which is one of the original murders, but I had John McCallum who had done scalps for me, create this sort of spike with a trigger in it. You wore it on your hand like a pirate's hook and you pulled the trigger and these blades would jump out. And um, we killed everybody over again. Um, And we went down and um, we shot in the offices for a day. I'm trying to do this from memory. Then we went, we were at a marina where the boat was tied up at night and you had to shoot up at a, at a severe angle because there were other boats around it at night that you could see. And I think we did some of the murders on the boat and then we and then we shot inside the cabin while it was still docked. Then I know that we went out. Now when we are in the cabin, one of the things that bothered people was that they didn't know why the movie's called Moon and Scorpio. And I said, well, maybe if someone says it in the movie. And there was a girl named April Wayne who had been in Gary's movie Party Camp. And I said, why don't we say, why don't we have her say, you know, the moon's in Scorpio, you know, it's a bad, bad time or something. And Bill Smith's there, I think he's throwing some playing cards into a hat or something. And uh, so we we shot stuff like that. And, um, to try to explain why the movie is called Moon and Scorpio. And then we shot Louis Van Bergen with what I think was a drinking straw, sort of a telescoping drinking straw on a wire. Um, we re-killed him. We re-killed a bunch of people, if almost all of them. And then finally, we decided, um, you know, they, they went out on the boat originally, but they only had one boat, so every shot was from the deck of the boat. All the shots when the boat was deserted was all taken from its own deck. And I said, this is a major problem here. You need another boat to shoot this boat uh, from so that you can see this boat adrift, you know, with no one on it. You need that ghostly shot of this boat just sort of drifting there, but you need to see it from another boat. So we went out back out to, to sea and uh, we got another boat. And I thought, well, if we've got this other big boat, maybe we should shoot that boat from the ghost boat, right? And so we put a sticker on it that said Coast Guard or something, and we had these guys come up alongside and jump onto the boat. None of this was in the original film. And then I think Britt Eklund kills Don Scribner. Don Scribner I hired because I'd seen him in Slave Girls from Beyond Infinity, right? And there had been another character in that role that Gary had filmed, an entire role film with a guy named Blackie Dammit kind of an unusual, quirky-looking actor who was in, I think, Lethal Weapon, you can look him up, Blackie Dammit. Blackie Dammit played this role, but I said, this is so unrealistic, it's so divorced from, from anything that was realistic. I said, I just edited his entire role out of the movie, and then I wrote it over again, and I hired Don Scribner to come in and do that, do that part. And, uh, and that's how this film uh, went down. And uh, Gary didn't show up until the night before, And he shot the three days. Now, they didn't want to pay me what I thought I should be getting paid on this movie. So I said, listen, you're going to give me this amount of money. I said, but the cameras were picked up on a Friday afternoon and returned a week from Monday. And that's what was considered a one-week rental back then. Gary's shoot was Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I think. And maybe uh, maybe Thursday, but I don't think so. So we took the camera equipment, picked it up on Friday. And I went home that night carrying the camera equipment with me and I shot Friday night, Saturday and Sunday, and then the following Friday, Saturday and Sunday on a movie called Hollywood Chainsaw Hookers. I used the same offices that Britt Eklund's in with the, with the, you know, straight jacket, but Gary Graver didn't shoot Hollywood Chainsaw because he was at the Orson Welles Festival. So I took our assistant camera guy, Scott Ressler, who wanted to be a DP and I moved him up the ladder for those days. And so Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Scott Russell was a DP. Then Gary showed up Sunday night and shot his own stuff, uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then Scott came back and we, and we finished Hollywood Chainsaw hookers and all in the same week. It was incredible. Bill Smith was a, a guy who, um, very hair triggered temper. I just came off of a commando squad with him. Um, and, uh, we went out on, on the, on the boat and we got out there and he'd forgotten He'd forgotten his his glasses, his eyeglasses, and he couldn't read his script. And I said, it was too far to go back. And I said, Bill, I said, I'll tell you what. I said, I'll read these lines to you just so you know. I'll run them with you. he got so angry, he put his fist up like he was gonna hit me. And I said, whoa, dude, you know, because I said, look, you know what I know. I said, you're full of pins and plates and stuff. I said, if you fall down on this deck, what you're gonna have to come at me. I said, you're gonna need help, three people to get you back on your feet again. I said, so I said, I'm just trying to help you. So let's have everybody calm down. And and everybody did and everything went okay. <clears throat> went okay from uh, from there. But uh, yeah. Brett Eklund, there's another one who was like constantly complaining, not about her paycheck, not about the script, just about people, about you in general. She was always saying something to me. Finally she comes in and this is there's some scene, she comes in, she's got a glass of milk in her hand. And I looked at her and I said, Finally, I said, something, something that you can agree on. And she said, oh, milk is the worst thing for you. It's only meant for babies. No one should ever drink milk. And I thought, you know what, I give up. I give up. But we did go on to make uh, Beverly Hills Vamp uh, together. So they made this, they made this movie, and uh, I don't exactly know how it turned out one way or t'other. Um, but it came out and it was a monster hit. I don't know if it was the poster or the cast. I don't know what it was. But they told me that Moon and Scorpio made a couple million dollars. It was just an incredible financial um, success. And I remember there was a time toward the end of his life, Gary, Gary came to me and he wanted to put some kind of YouTube video together. And he wanted to talk about how he felt he'd been mistreated on this movie, I think. Or might have been mistreated in general. But he wanted me to come in and sort of reiterate whatever it was he was saying. He wanted me to come in and say that it was true. And I do believe I did that and, um, uh, we did do this movie. It was shot in a couple pieces. I wrote a great portion of it, produced it, um, and rode around, stood next to Gary on those days. And we made Hollywood chainsaw hookers in the same week. And, uh, hopefully this will explain some of the confusing stuff that went on during the, the making of this, um, this movie. Uh, hopefully it will. And if you have questions, you can contact me through the official Fred Olin Ray Facebook page. There's a little place where you can send me a message. And if I get the right uh, questions, maybe I'll answer one of them next time. I am also thinking about talking about my adventures with Friday the 13th, the movies and the TV series, and how I got ripped off on uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, which would make a very interesting, I think, next uh, episode. So let me know what you think. Send me an email or message at the official Fred Olin Ray Facebook page.